those lovely notes of Giuseppe Verdi mean it's time for another edition of Syria Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio at the highest level. Frank Cremello back in the main seat, uh, back after a little bit of an absence and a little bit of an illness, but feeling better. Uh, a couple of you reached out on Twitter and said, hope you're feeling better, mate. That I appreciated that. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you, as always, for getting stuck in with us. Uh, joining me, as always, and he held it out. He held it down brilliantly last week with our guest, Gregory Caltabanis, uh, the co-host of Syria Sit Down, Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. Welcome back. Uh, good to be back, and uh, Syria greeted we greeted me with 34 goals this weekend. Yeah, I thought that so, was pretty thoughtful of them. That was very nice of them. Yeah, it's uh, some of it matchup related, but uh, you know, <laughs> but you know, what do we know? Syria is just boring, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, it's defensive league. Yeah, it's just a defensive league. 34 goals, my gosh. <clears throat> so, but yeah, it's. Uh, you know, it's time for we're going to spotlight another team this week. We've uh, we've been keeping track. We've spotlighted Roma, Napoli last week. Richard and Gregory broke down all things Juventus, and we're going to go from one black and white to another black and white. We're going to do that with a familiar voice. Uh, she is the host of Unusual Efforts, uh, among many other writings uh, and things that. Uh, we're going to be able to get into and uh, catch up with what she's been up to. And we're glad that uh, uh, she is back uh, with us here to do this podcast and talk a little Udinese. Uh, we say ciao to Sonia Misio. Ciao, Sonia. Ciao, guys. How are you? I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for welcoming me back. Oh, it's great to it's great to have you back. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, and glad you were uh, able to come on and uh, you know talk a little Udinese with us. I think that uh, you know certainly plenty to be discussed. You know, before we get into that Q and A, uh, before a little Q and A on Udinese, why don't you keep us up to speed, get our, and get our listeners up to speed with uh, some of the work you've been up to, including uh, some research you're doing on on mental illness as it relates to football. Yeah, great, thanks. Um, so I always have lots of balls up in the air and juggling a bunch of things, but kind of this pet project of mine that I've been wanting to do for a while that really hits close to home with me is examining the links and the relationship on more of a social level of mental illness and soccer. And I know we all jokingly say how, you know, soccer drives us nuts and and things like that, but I want to examine it more on a on a personal level. And I've been talking to several people about their own personal experiences and whether soccer has been a detriment to their mental health or has helped their mental health. And me personally, I know it's been both. And I just wanted to explore these relationships and find out how people use the beautiful game in order to cope with things that they're going through in their life. And if it helps, if it hinders, if it's, you know, just a, a 90 minute release from what's going on, or if it's a 90 minute intensification of what's going on. And I'm so grateful for the people who have told me their stories and everyone is unique and beautiful on their own, but you really start seeing these overlapping links, which is what I found interesting of ideas of isolation and being able to come together in a group over, like I said, 90 minutes of the beautiful game and how people are able to sort of put their own feelings and understandings of things that they don't necessarily understand or they don't necessarily are able to cope with every day into something that they love and something that has been able to help them. So I don't want to give too much away, mainly because I'm still working with people and I don't want to go into you know, specific stories and talk about people's journeys without their you know, okay, or go ahead. But um, personally, for me, I know that soccer has been in my life through very hard times. And it's been, like I mentioned, detrimental, and it has 
affected my mental health because it's given me something to kind of focus on and and pigeonhole thoughts and feelings to. And it's nice to know that I'm not necessarily alone in those feelings, but at the same time, kind of understanding where these thoughts and emotions are coming from. So it should be interesting. That was kind of a mouthful, but it's mm-hmm. I'm really excited and I'm really passionate about it. And like I said, grateful for so many people who are sharing their stories. Excellent. And is this going to be something that you down the road intend to release as a publication? Is this going to be found on a on a, on a website? Um, you know, just uh, I guess uh, once you have everything collected and once you have this all uh, finalized, uh, you know, what's what, what's the intent going to be and how is it going to be released? Well, I'm hoping for it as a book. And the way that I'm looking at it is if at a, if you read a lot of people's um, soccer books, it's usually a travel guide. Like one chapter is about Milan, another chapter is about Barcelona, another chapter is about Udinese in a book no one has written. But uh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to be more of a travel guide through mental health. So each chapter instead of a place or a team would be an, a different illness or a different feeling and how soccer kind of cor- uh, incorporates and relates to different people in the story. That's great. That is excellent. That is excellent. We certainly look forward to uh, we certainly look forward to this when it comes out. Um, Thank you. You know, so uh, it's 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 a very difficult subject to tackle because it's a subject that nobody wants to tackle when it comes to sport. You know, we it's it's easy to just cover the sport itself, you know, and, uh, you know, certainly there's plenty of there's plenty of stories. There's plenty of information and there's plenty of things, uh, you know, with sport in its purest form, with football in its purest form. But, uh, you know, the mental, you know, tackling the mental aspect of it, um, you know, or, or, or taking that on and, and, and putting together something, uh, it's something that's going to scare the, even the most casual uh, reporter or the most, most casual journalist. So, uh, kudos to you, to you for taking this on. And certainly we look forward to, uh, um, we look forward to uh, seeing it when it comes out. Well, thank you so much. And part of what I want to do is sort of break down those taboos and make it okay to talk about because it is a difficult subject to talk about, but but yeah. that doesn't mean we shouldn't do mm-hmm. it. So, indeed, indeed, absolutely. So uh, we appreciate your certainly appreciate your efforts for that. Um, let's get into Udinese, uh, the team that is near and dear to your heart, the Friuli yep. outfit. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to start. I'm going to open this up by talking about the Mercato. Uh, I was pretty rough on them uh, in when I was uh, grading each Serie A team, uh, you know, and how they did in the Mercato. And you know, as you and I were talking about before uh, we, we we got on and recorded here, uh, for me it was too many uh, veterans uh, going uh, for my liking. I you know Cyril Turo, who was a double digit goal scorer every season, you know, with some regularity. Felipe, a very experienced center back, um, you know, just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you know, with some of the releases, um, and then they, you know, replacing him with a with a Maxi Lopez. We we don't know what we have with him. Valon Barami, who you did a piece on uh, for Forza Italian Football, um, give us your impression of uh, Udinese's Mercato, and uh, you know what some of the uh, departures and some of the arrivals signal to you. Well, it was really confusing, to be honest, because you normally look at Udinese's transfer season and you don't really think much of it. They're not going to be signing names. And like I mentioned earlier, the biggest surprise to me was they started signing people that I had heard of before and had actually played and were established. But mm-hmm. yeah, getting getting rid of their 
biggest goal scorers and, to be honest, fan favorites as well. You had somebody step into the shoes of Antonio Di Natale, which was not an easy feat. And obviously he didn't quite have the same spot in the Friolano's hearts as Di Natale did, but he was getting there. Like, uh, you had a player that was making those goals and showing up every week. So to just ship him off was a little bit... I don't know. It it seemed insane. It seemed like there was a plan laid in place. And when that plan became Maxi Lopez, it was even more confusing. And yeah, it's just you're replacing old with old. And hopefully that is going to be translated into more experience. When I, as you mentioned, when I talked to Barani, he was saying that he hopes that he wants to be a, um, uh, a role model and a mentor for some of the younger players, which is really, really nice to hear. And I hope that actually comes to fruition. But fortunately, they have not had the greatest start of the season, which I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about. And you're going to drag me through today's match, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> we'll, so be, whatever... we'll, be, we'll be gentle. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Richard, so whatever... Richard, Richard, Richard in particular, he's a Kievo supporter. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Another one. Um <laughs> But yeah, um, so whatever plan the Pozzo family has in place or Del Neri has in place, I just I don't know what it is yet. So the optimism in me is excited to see what it is, but the Udinese fan in me, fan in me just is completely like just, well, I'm looking forward to Serie B next year. I mean, that's going to be a whole bunch of new teams to learn about. So <laughs> that's my positive. Well, you brought up Gianpaolo Pozzo, and I kind of want to bring him up because um, there is a bit of confusion with him, you know. It's, you know, everybody knows now that he has stakes in three teams, not only Udinese, but also Granada, who's considered the feeder club, and then Watford. Um, you know, with, with all the money now and, and the EPL, it seems like he's taking, I know a lot of players have been shipped from one team to the other. Barami came from Watford, now he's with Udinese, and, and I got, I think you guys sent Carnesis and, uh, what's his name? Mola Wagu, or I forget how you pronounce his name. He went to Watford. Um, how do you feel as a Udinese fan when you see that you know your owner is not, has, also has two other teams and he's shipping players back and forth? It seems like it's like there's no real plan, or I don't know what his plan is. Like you said, it's, it's confusion with this, with this with the Pozzo family. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, it's interesting the way that they break it down because really, um, um, you have uh, sorry, you have. Pazzo's son running uh, Watford. So you have Gio Pazzo running Watford and it's father who's running with amazing. And they actually sold Granada a few years ago. So oh, we don't okay. have them anymore. They're oh, okay. off our plate. Um, and with, uh, it's, it's hard to explain without sounding really bitter. So I'm trying to do this in like the most do neutral it. way do possible. It. Yeah, I know. Um, So with Watford, you have the big shiny lights of BPL. You have the money that goes there. You have the younger Pozzo who is kind of more invested in like understanding the glitz and the glam and like knowing how to run a team and wanting the best for the team because that's going to make them the most money. Whereas you have an Udinese, um, the father Pozzo, who is kind of he's owned the team since 1986 he produces sort of subpar the fans are happy with it or they're not complaining i should say you're not going to have like you know their ultras storming the pitch or yelling at the players or whatnot um people still remember their 2011 2010 season where you know they were champions league qualifiers and they're still kind of running on the fumes of that like 
fans think like well, this will this might happen again. So he's sort of safe there. He doesn't really need to do anything in Udinese, whereas Watford is more the the wild card right now where they can make this team great and Watford has, you know, this huge history in England. It was owned by Elton John at one point. So like people recognize the name. It's not it's it's coming from someplace. So there's a lot of effort to sort of restore this glory in England, whereas unfortunately in Udinese it's not necessarily their prime role or their prime directive at this point. And who knows how long he's going to own it for? I mean, there was rumors that he wanted to sell it for a while, and oh, well, I didn't know that. yeah, um, I don't, I don't know how factual these rumors are, but it was, it was this idea of going like full into Watford and like having a son take over everything. And so, unfortunately, when you have a very stable team that is plateaued, it's really easy to keep those wheels running and to to be happy with sort of that mid-table mediocrity which fans aren't happy about but they're not losing they're not in idea of this drop zone and a lot of Friolanos have this mindset and maybe I say that just thinking of my father but that like well this is the best we can do and then you have this younger generation who's like no we can do better we saw it like <laughs> you know six years ago we can definitely do better and um they've kind of lost that spark they're not they're not the sort of wild card and um team that like other teams in italy could kind of look to and and have that respect when they show up now it's just sort of like okay this is another team to beat. like this is just another team on the roster they don't have that dina tally figure where people look up and like the talisman that that's why you want to watch them they are really just another team to watch rather than actually looking for something to look for if that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes it makes perfect sense. Uh, makes perfect sense for me. Um, the Pozzo family have have not been the, uh, <clears throat> the, the they've they've not been known to give managers such great job security, uh, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, we've got you, you, we got Luigi Del Nardi there now, yeah. um, you know, and he took over from Yakini, uh, you know, at the. Um, uh, gosh, uh, mid-fall uh, last year. Uh, steered the ship, got them to a respectable finish. Uh, we talked about some of the moves that were made. There's, there's certainly going to be you know, a youth movement with Udinese, and it's certainly with the center-back pairing that they have. Uh, we know Simone Scuffet's a good goalkeeper. Nightink, uh looks like he's going to – looks like he looks the part uh, as a center-back for, uh, for Udinese. Um, was – We'll get to the game a little bit later. I was quite impressed with Antonin Barak uh, <clears throat> in the middle of the park for you guys. Um, but Luigi Del Neri is a manager. Uh, considering that this is a, a younger team and that the veteran presence isn't there, uh, you know, like it was last season, um, does uh, he have a little bit more of a rope than what other managers uh, under the Pozzo family might have been given? I think also, so. I think. Sorry. Al also considering his experience and his track record. Yeah, and I think he's also kind of known for managing teams like Udinese, these sort of like mid-table teams that he's just sort of trying to kind of keep up with everybody else, and they're not necessarily looking him to do spectacularly well in the season, which, again, is unfortunate, um, and also could just be me projecting, but that's sort of the sense I'm getting a lot from a lot of the Fairlawn newspapers as well, and it just sort of like, let's be as good as we can be rather than let's be better. Um, he has those sort of northern Italian roots that the Pozzo family really like. He's, he's able to control the team. I think 
the one time that they had a lot of conflict was near the end of Francesco Guidolin's reign with Di Natale and they were starting to butt heads where Di Natale was wanting to kind of take over those managerial roles and those tactician roles where he would, you know, really start fighting with Guidolin on some of his decisions. So I think it kind of scared the Pazzo family because it was the first time that there was like conflict within their squad. And so now that they have a manager that is a more established and be running a team that doesn't have those egos that play within them, I think they will want to hold on to him for a while because he is doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And they haven't had the greatest start of the season, but they also haven't had a terrible start of the season. I mean, there's not the rumblings haven't started yet, I guess I want to say. But if they continue the way that they're going by Christmas, there's definitely going to be need changes. And I just don't know if it's a coaching change or if it has to go from higher up and looking at who they're playing with and who they're signing. And if maybe the January transfer window, there has to be some changes there. Hmm. Oh. Uh, I want to go, you know, speaking on that, you know, so you said something earlier that kind of piqued my interest. You were saying, you know, well, you know, I have to look forward to next season with Serie B and you know, learning <laughs> teams there. Um, Richard Hall, he, uh, he penned an article uh, a couple weeks ago, um, and uh, the title was interesting. It says, 22 consecutive years in Syria may just be coming to an end for Udinese. Um, yes, I read all, it. <laughs> yeah, with all the talent that you guys have lost, I mean, is there actually true, honest fear that you may be relegated this season? I mean, looking at the team now, I'm just looking at it right now, and I'm thinking, well, you guys have you know a sufficient amount of talent, but you did lose a lot of... I mean, I, I can see where he's coming from. You know, with all the guys, you lost Terrell, you lost Sabata, um, and so on and so forth, Felipe, like you said. So... And, and as a Udinese fan, how is that fear really true for you? Or are you just, you know, like, ah, I'm not so sure. I mean, mid-table, I'm not, you know, I'm curious what you think. What I think is different about Udinese in the last couple of years, that's really been the change. It's not so much what we've lost. It's that what we haven't gained. I mean, right. we haven't found those diamonds in the rough that that we're so used to finding and that sort of helped the team along. Like, I don't think there's going to be another Alexis Sanchez to play for Udinese. I'm, I'm not that delusional, yeah. but somebody like Fofana was supposed to be kind of our next big thing. And while he plays well, it hasn't sort of pushed over to the edge. Like Scufe, he was, you know, supposed to be the next uh, Gigi Buffon. Like that obviously didn't happen. So it just seems like that, that hidden talent, that, that, sort of gem that Udinese was known for and that that little piece that the Kadai was sort of hold above everybody's heads isn't there anymore. And I don't know if that's different with their youth team, which is really comprehensive. Like if, um, if, if anyone's interested, if you look at their youth team and their women's team, like it's really, really well done. It's one of the most impressive that I've seen in Europe. Like they're both just really, really well organized and well run. Hmm. And there's a lot of effort and time that goes into it. So I'm hoping that maybe now that they're actually putting more money into their youth system, that it's it's going to start building up again. But at the same time, I mean, that's going to take years to establish, right? So if it means a trip to Serie B to get the Pazzo family to kind of wake up and be like, oh shit, we need to do something. It's happened before. I mean, that's why Pozzo came in in the 80s, because the team was terrible and he had to bring them up. So they are capable of doing it. It's just a matter of do people care enough or are people just sort of OK with this? Like I keep calling it mid-table mediocrity that you can kind of just sort of float. So in a way, in a selfish way that I'm going to regret saying on a recording, but I kind of want them to get to Serie B to 
give them that kick in the pants afterwards and be like, something needs to be done. And I know this from personal experience with not to bring them into it, but TFC, you have to hit rock bottom before somebody says, okay, we need to make real changes. Like we can't keep running on these fumes of years gone by. I've kind of kept tabs here on, on Udinese this season so far, because they're, they're, they're an intriguing one to me. Um, uh, you know, open the season with a defeat and, 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 and largely because of, you know, what I said about, um, uh, what I said about, uh, I, I, I just saw your question there. So Sonia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thrown off now. I, if, I apologize. If, okay. Sonia just put in the text chat and asked if we we're going to talk about Jovinko. I said, and if, if you've got some secret story saying he's going to sign for Udinese in January, then sure. We'll welcome it. <laughs> but, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Um, but, uh, no, um, <laughs> here's, here's what I saw. I, you know, okay. Two new center. Okay. Scafette's a good goalkeeper, but two new center backs. And I thought it was going to be a bit of a struggle and right, right out of the box, uh, lose two, one to Kiev, lose three, two to Spal. Um, but come back and get a nice clean sheet against, uh, Genoa and, and we'll get into the game here shortly. Gave Milan a hard, t- you know, gave Milan a hard time, but and, and some of that is, is Udinese have throughout the years given Milan a hard time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of see this being a process. Um, I really like some of the young players. I met, I, I hinted toward night tank and Barack. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jakob Yankto. Um, and not just because there was a possibility he could have signed for Milan on deadline day. Uh, <laughs> you know, Rodrigo DePaul is always, you know, I, I don't think his potential has been tapped yet. So plenty of pieces there. You alluded to Seiko Fafana. Kevin Lasagna has come back. He's 24 years old, and it looks like he's part of the permanent plans for Udinese. Um, is this to you a – I feel like that this is a team that, okay, Friuli fans are going to need to grit their teeth here for a few months until this all comes together. But this is a team that, at, at the end of the day, is a comfortable you know, 13th, you know, 14th kind of in that range. Um, what are your realistic with the with the young players that Udinese have? What are your what are your realistic expectations uh, for Udinese and where they finish? I'd be happy finishing <coughs> in that mid table range that you were talking about, but I mean the the problem with them too is if you look at their season on paper right now, losing to Spal, you you think like oh my god, this team is just like what is happening? They're spiraling out of control. But if you watch the games, you realize that, you know, it, it, it wasn't quite what the scoreline read. But at the end of the day, it has to do with the scoreline. Even today's game, which I'm sure we'll get into, you can be like, oh, it was really close. It was a good matchup. You know, they they could have won. They almost won. VAR ruined it. But at the end of the day, there's no three points there. And so while seeing this progression on the field is great and it it does make me happy and and there are individual players that are that are excellent and I can see them progressing and I can also see how um, these pieces are being set into play for how the future is going to go and kind of finding their pieces and making sure that the players fit within the bigger plan. I can understand that and I can respect that. But at the same time, you can't get out of the gate tripping like this. You can't. We, we did it a few years ago. I forget what it was where we had, I think it was in 2010, um, or maybe 2009, I can't remember, but where we'd lost a whole bunch of games in, at the beginning of the season and then basically just won everything at the end. That was when like we finished 5-3 beating Inter and we made the Champions League qualifier on the last day. Mm-hmm. 
And mm-hmm. so these losses are going to come back and haunt us. And I, again, I don't think we're going to get a qualification spot this year. But at the same time, I don't want to just sort of brush this aside because it is sort of that complacency that a lot of Friolano fans have that it's, oh, it's okay. You know, we had one clean sheet or the game wasn't as bad as we thought. We had a goal called back. It, it, it's okay. Well, it's not okay. Like, you can't just sit back and be like, well, better luck next time or looking at this. <laughs> the season's just going to get harder because as our players are progressing and as our team is getting better, so is everybody else. So. Yep. I don't know. It, it's hard. Like I said, I kind of want them to get that kick in the pants where like, oh shit, we have to do something like we may drop. But at the same time, I do want to be patient because the team has gone through a very big upheaval in the last five years. Like almost no one, Danilo, I think is the only one who's pretty much a familiar face. Sure. So it's it's a really hard balancing line where I want to coddle them, but at the same time, I just want to like punch them in the gut. <laughs> so, <laughs> so violent. I know. <laughs> you have no idea what this team does to me, but um, I, I completely forgot your original question. I just went on a huge rent right there. Well, I'm uh, table position at the end right. of at the end of May. There. Uh, reasonable, reasonable finish, or if they finish at this spot, I'll take it. Uh, what is that to you? Fifteen. <laughs> okay. 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 So you're just a, you're a spot or two below what I think they can do, but yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. And, and I'll 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 we'll 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 do our Javinko spotlight right now. He hey. should be he should be in the national team over Ader. Thank you. Maybe I maybe I knew you'd support me on this. <laughs> maybe in January you guys can get Giovinco. That way he'll be on the national team because he'll be in Italy. Yeah. Then um, no no no. We need him at Ventura won't have an ex- Ventura won't have, <laughs> Ventura won't have an excuse. <laughs> Richard, you had one more for uh, Sonia here. I did. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Frank was mentioning a bunch of youngsters on the team. I mean, I mean, guys like Barack, Yanto, Fofana, Scuffet. Um, of of the of the of the squad you have right now, the youngsters. Who are you hopeful? Is there someone that you think will break out that'll become the next big player for Udinese? Maybe not, maybe not Alexis Sanchez, but you know, <laughs> a breakout player. Obviously, you said Fofana, you thought it was going to be that guy. But is there anyone like Gangto or anyone else that you that you maybe nobody else knows about that you think is on the cusp of having a breakthrough season? Yeah, Yanto, we kind of discussed earlier before, and I've been talking about him with my dad for a bit, and we're hoping that um, he kind of went up through the youth system in Udinese as well. So I'm hoping that he's kind of going to be our poster child. I, I'm, I'm putting way too much pressure on him. I realize this, but <laughs> kind of be that poster child of like, you can work through the system and you can work through the Academy and come up. The problem that I have with, with putting hope on a young player, especially with Udinese, if you would ask me this about Toronto FC or BSC young boys or something like that, I would have no problem answering, but Udinese is just so different. It's, it, you've had or we've had so many times in the past where we could make this and this player would become phenomenal and he would go on to do great things outside of our club and so I'm almost gun shy to to make a prediction because it's something that once upon a time could have come true and now it's it's that we almost like expect it to come true so does that make sense that (laughs) I've kind of rambled on there but like I don't want to do these huge predictions because once upon a time it was something that would have worked out, but now I'm just so deflated and jaded that I almost feel like it's a curse to put on them to to pick out the next Sanchez. Oh, so. very reasonable indeed. Very reasonable. Um, you know, but, but I still I, keep an eye on Fofana. I like him, and uh, Lasagna's uh, been great for us this season too. So, and he has a fun name. So, yeah, 
lasagna. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good food too. So, um, <laughs> so but no, that's a, a, excellent insight on Udinese, Sonia. We certainly appreciate it. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll keep tracking their progress as they go, and uh, you know, a lot of promising young players in this team. How Del Neri molds, molds them, and if he's going to get the entire season to do so, it's uh, uh, certainly going to be uh, be interesting to discover that as we as we go here. So, uh, but let's uh, let's jump into that game. Um, kind of have a bit of a Darby Della podcast here, Richard. Yes, we um, do. Yes, we so, do. You know, just like just like the old days. So. It was Milan and Udinese at the San Zero. This is what we'll spotlight here ahead of the rest of the recaps. Uh, Udinese, again, coming off that 1-0 win over Genoa. Uh, Milan getting battered at Lazio 4-1, uh, but followed that up with a uh, 5-1 win at Austria Wien in the Europa League. Uh, Montella returned to his 3-5-2. Uh, Del Neri returned to a, uh, a rather familiar lineup uh, heading into this game. And uh, a shock lead... Uh, for the visitors in the 11th minute through Kevin Lasagna, unfortunately, uh, VAR uh, came into play. Uh, replays showed that Lasagna was ever so slightly offside, uh, enough for them to overturn the goal uh, and make it nil-nil. Uh, and of course, the host would get the opportunity and take advantage. Allarga per Calabria, che si coordina, cross dentro, arriva il vantaggio Milan, esulta Kalinic, che alla prima, da titolare con la maglia rossonera, fa 1-0. Nikola Kalinic scoring his first goal, uh, making me look stupid, I was angry about the team selection and why Andre Silva wasn't starting, uh, but, uh, uh, but nonetheless, uh, so Milan has, has this 1-0 lead, um, but it wasn't before long where Alessio Romagnoli somehow thought that Kevin Lasagna was on his team. E arriva il gol di Lasagna. Stavolta è tutto buono. Il Milan pasticcia. E arriva il pareggio dell'Udinese al ventottesimo. Just an awful pass uh, in trying to maintain some possession out of the back. Lasagna pounced on it, made it 1-1. Uh, so the visitors have a very precious point in hand, uh, but they would not have it for long. Vittoria ad uscire verso che sì, Kalinic, ancora Kalinic, la doppietta del Croato, il Milan al 31esimo, e di nuovo avanti. Nikola Kalinic getting his brace and getting it at sea level, uh, that made the score 2-1, uh, pretty much a back and forth game, uh, very well played match, uh, and then uh, about 7 or 8 minutes from time, uh, Kalinic thought he had his hat trick, here comes VAR again. They got his pinky toe in an offside position. I think it was his pinky toe. Uh, but enough of his foot was in an offside position that they overturned it. Uh, so the game ended it, The game ended 2-1. Uh, three points for the Rossoneri, considering the game at Lazio, a much-needed three points. Sonia, let's look at this from the Udinese side of things. Um, maybe not the three points, but... Hopefully, the, the effort that you want to see from a young team in an away match like this, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I know. You're, you're results-driven. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, that, that's what's going to get you on the table, right? Mm -hmm. I, I just, it's so disheartening to have a goal called back. I mean, 
it really does change the flow of the game, not just because you're no longer winning, but everything you do, you start second guessing yourself because if you get another goal call back, there's going to be riots on your hand. And while I don't think the call was wrong, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. I don't think it was a wrong call or an incorrect call. I think VAR, V-A-R, sorry, I say VAR because it's easier, um, is just, it's not necessary. And let me put a caveat in there. I did not grow up watching North American sports. I grew up primarily watching soccer and F1, Mm. I guess. So this idea of breaks and stoppage in sports is very new to me. Um, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. It ruins the flow. And that offside, well, it wasn't offside. It just it changes the dynamic of the game so much for something that would have been better to discuss over the water cooler the next day rather than having this change being made right then and there. The other thing that I have with VAR is that it's so new, it's so inconsistently used. I know like there's the three rules or whatnot of like when they can actually review it and they and they use it in MLS as well. But I think if you start like looking at two offsides that are literally like a hair offside, if you're doing that now, how many other things are you going to start doing once you become familiar with the equipment and familiar with the technology that you're going to start calling back every little thing and reviewing every little thing in this 90 minutes plus stoppage time game starts becoming two and a half hours, three hours, and then we can start throwing commercial breaks. And I know I sound paranoid and whatnot, and it's mostly because I'm bitter because I had a goal called back. And had it been the other way, had it been Milan in the first one and us getting called back in the second one, I would have been completely different. But... <laughs> At the same time, like, I mean, I'm even annoyed that that it was used at the end of the game, like, for an opposing team. So it's just, it's this really hard position. And, I, and I've seen it used more in MLS, um, personally. I, I don't actually know what the ratio is of how often it's been used in Italy versus how much it's been used in North America. But it just, it just, it flow, it stops the beauty and the flow of the game. And it just, I don't know, I just maybe I'm too old school. I, I can't get used to it. And like I said, I didn't grow up with all these breaks. So I find them really, really unnerving and jarring and kind of, I'm, I'm being a little bit too dramatic here, but it, it really does ruin the experience. And part of the beauty of soccer is that human error. It's, it's that it's supposed to be this really simple game that all you need are, you know, four posts and a ball. And now we're adding all of these things and it's just, yeah. it's too much for me. I mean, we'll come back into the discussion about the Milan Udinese. Let's talk about VAR because I think we wanted to make this a talking point. Uh, you know, I, I personally think after four match weeks, as far as it relates to Serie A, it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that it's bad, but I don't, I don't know if it's good yet. Um, on the one end, it was supposed to help level the playing field, especially with the perception that. Uh, the big, the big boys in Syria get the calls. Um, Juventus, most notoriously, if you ask any casual Serie A fan. Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, is Marco Messina going to listen to this from IFTV? We'll tag him. <laughs> so, we'll tag him. We'll tag him. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but uh, Richard, I think it's incomplete. I don't think it's. You know, I, I think it's had some good moments, but I've hit, it's also had some head scratchers. There's there has been some 
there have been some moments that have been worthy of going to VAR and they don't go to VAR. And then today, you know, two goals that, you know, I think if you looked at an American football game, they, they would have, they would have reviewed that and they would have said too inconclusive or too close, or they'll just say, we'll, we'll stick with what we ruled on the pitch. Um, you know, we won't, we won't confirm the goal, but we will say that the ruling stands. Um, you know, what, what do you think of this? I'm giving it, I'm, I'm, I'm grading it an incomplete. Um, Sonia brings up a good point saying that, you know, it does ruin the flow of the game. And that, that is such an important factor in a game. And, and had that goal stood and you never went to VAR, you know, the goal, momentum of the game could have changed completely. Udinese would probably have been more defensive. It would have been harder for Milan to score. So, but we don't know how it'll shape out, but it definitely ruined the flow. I also am going to give it an incomplete. Um, there are, I actually personally do like VAR. I'm probably one of the few that does. Um, because when it does get it right, it gets it right. I've also seen it get it wrong. And when it's obviously wrong, I'm like, how did, how did they still not get it right? And also, they're very inconsistent. Like Sonia was saying, there's times when you think they should be going to VAR and they don't. And then other times they're going to VAR and you're like, well, why are you going to VAR? Why are you going to VAR for that? Mm-hmm. So they got to work out the kinks on that. I mean, if it was, if it was more consistent, um, I would like it and more people would like it better. But like you said, it, sometimes they don't go, go to it when you should. Uh, other times they go to it and they get it wrong still. Um, they did get both calls right in the Milan game, but like Sonia was saying, it ruined the flow of the game. Um, so that's something we're going to have to to work on. It, we're going to have to get used to it, really, but they need to get those kinks better because they're, they're way too inconsistent. And it's not just in Serie A. It's in, in all the European leagues where they're using it, and I'm sure in MLS as well. Um, and I don't know how you could get it wrong still after going, going to it. I don't know if Bias is playing into it. Hopefully it's not the big name teams getting involved in this. You know, I don't know. No, Juventus pulling the strings or anything. I didn't say that. No one heard that. Um, but I'm going to give it incomplete as well. It's just, it's too many inconsistencies, too many unknowns. And uh, it's in the right place, but it's not doing, they're not doing what they're, the way it's, you know, the way they had their, the way they wanted to, to go, uh, go through. They're not, they're not using it to, as all capabilities. They're not being consistent. No, I, I don't think so. Um, Sonia, any closing thoughts on on VAR here? I don't like it. Okay, <laughs> that's my closing thought. Um, hard, no. hard hitting, hard hitting commentary. Yeah, I know, um, quotable over here. But no, I think I just think there's so many other technologies that could have been implemented first, rather than VAR, like putting goal line technology in a lot longer or uh, like a lot earlier, and yeah. Uh, I don't know. It just like it just seems weird. It seems like I said. I, I just feel that people are going to become more reliant on it, and then eventually referees are just going to go to it all the time because it's either making that split second decision. Um, it kind of gets referees, you know, off the hook quite a bit because they can be like, "Oh, well, we'll just check it on the video screen." And like you guys were mentioning before, some things are still subjective. Like you could watch a play. 15 times and argue if it's a red card or not, or what the rules are, if somebody's offside, like that's the beauty of the game, that there is still that room for discussion and just relying on rewatching things over and over again. I think it's just going to be detrimental to the sport. You brought up a good point because in the NFL, they do this. And when they know that, you know, they call plays a certain ways to make sure it goes to, to review and they try to cover themselves too. Cause like, if you call a play a certain way and, Depends on how you call it, it may not be able reviewable. So you're gonna see a lot of that. I think I agree with you 100 percent on that on that fact. So that's the that's the part where it gets a little sketchy in my book. Yeah, and isn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm I'm gonna sound completely uneducated, but in baseball, you're only allowed X amount per game. Is that right? 
I think so. That in hockey as well, I think. Yeah. Something so like that, yeah. May- yeah, maybe if they like introduce something like that, like you can have one VAR recap per game or something like that. I'm just making up rules now, but I think something like on those two offsides, like those are two things where you watch the replay and you're like, oh, maybe they're offside. But if you actually have to think about if somebody's offside, then that's way too, like, not to bring baseball back into it, but tie goes to the runner. You know what I mean? Like, you have to be able to use human common sense for that. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yes, I mean, we're all, we all agree. It's it's incomplete. It's not very likable at the moment. It's got, it's certainly got some work to do after, after four match weeks. Let's come back to the game a little bit. And Richard, you know, as far as the Milan side of this, um, you know, a fair assessment that they they looked more connected this game than, well, obviously the Lazio game, but even the Cagliari game? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's de- You can definitely see that the guys are starting to know where each other's going to be. Um, Kessie is just a tank out there. But, no... Uh, you could tell, you know, with all with the linkage between the defense, the defenses look look much better now. But of course, you finally got the three guys they wanted back there playing at the same time, um, so that helps a lot. But also, you know, you can see how you know the guys are actually playing the way Montella wants. The guys know where they're going to be. Um, they're working off each other. Kalinic, even though it's his first game starting, um, he seemed to work really well with a in the in the in the Europa in the Europa, Europa game he, with a Chananalu. Uh, he you know they they had good chemistry there. And then this game, uh, he was working off of Bonaventura and and, and Bilia and all those guys that seemed to be working very well together. So they're starting to gel, uh, which is very good. They're coming a little faster than than we thought, but there's still there's still some work to do there. Uh, sure. You know what I mean? Sure. No, definitely. And I, to your point, I thought Frank Cassie was the best player on the pitch today. Um, actually, I actually thought look, uh, Bilio was. I thought he actually looked world class, but I want to see him do it against Lazio teams, not, you know, Udinese. No offense, Sonia. I think um, for me, just some of the ball winning that Cassie did um, and just some of the work rate and some of the things that he did. Footwork, the footwork I, too. Oh, yeah. You know, just for, for a big guy like that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I thought that I thought that he was very good for Milan. I thought on the Udinese side, obviously Lasagna was a was a nuisance. I thought Barak was 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 good there in the middle of the park, uh, dealt with some things really well. Um, you know, so overall, uh, overall a pretty uh, um, you know a, a well played game. Uh, you know, certainly no doubt about that. Um, and then. Uh, Richard, you have a um, you have you have one of your interesting facts here to uh, discuss about this game. It may just be interesting to two of us uh, on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Milan's last win against Udinese. It's actually been a while. It's been uh, September 2015, I believe it was. Uh, Udinese won all six points last season, uh, so they had they've had Milan's number. So this is a it's a, a good win for Milan in that respect, and a bad loss for Udinese. I apologize. You're welcome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just trying to make you guys feel better. Certainly been a bit of a bogey team for the Rossoneri in the, in the past few years, to Richard's point. Um, your comments or your thoughts on what you heard about uh, Udinese and, and the state of their team, uh, VAR, if you want to chime in on that, go to Serie A sit down, uh, either on Twitter or on Instagram. Uh, let's jump in and talk about the rest of match week four. Oh, 34 goals on the weekend, Richard and Sonia. Fair to say we're going to give the uh, Lega Serie A sound guys a workout, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the fun started on Saturday. Cotone at home against Inter. This is a 
fixture that Inter lost last season, and it was a struggle for them this time around. Nil-nil uh, for uh, much of the match, and then in the 82nd minute, one of Inter's new signings popped up. Sul secondo palo arriva la sponda, poi prova a girarsi Candreva, non trova più il pallone, ancora Skriniar! E c'è il gol di Skriniar! Skriniar porta in vantaggio l'Inter! Milan Skriniar in the 82nd, uh, followed by Ivan Perisic in stoppage time to give the Nerazzurri a 2-0 win. Richard, your Crotone boys, uh, desperately missing Diego Falcinelli, played four, scored zero. Are they this season's Empoli? It's starting to look like that. Uh, they don't have a goal-scoring threat. While they had lots of opportunities, I think they had something like 12 shots on uh, on target. They actually had more corner kicks and then Inter. So they, they did put some pressure on, but they can't finish. And losing a guy like Diego Falcinelli uh, is going to hurt them big time because they're going to they're going to be like you said like like Empoli last year, not be able to put it the ball in the net's ultimately going to hurt you uh, get any points. And I don't think they're as good defensively as Empoli was last season, so I don't see them holding clean sheets like Empoli did. So it's going to be a long season, unfortunately, for Crotone and, and Crotone fans. Well, I guess me. <laughs> um, Sonia. Um... Are you surprised at uh, how quickly uh, Luciano Spalletti, Luciano Spalletti, has uh, uh, taken the reins and the and the effect that he's had on this team at Inter? You know what? It's funny. Whenever I see him, I'm I'm like I always do a double take because I'm so used to him at Roma. Like it's just yeah. I don't. There's something out of all coaches. He's just like this is weird. This shouldn't be. Um, yeah, I think he's doing really well for that Inter side, and I'm actually as a neutral kind of looking forward to seeing where he's going to take that team because they, I'm going to regret saying this as well, but they are due for a bit of a renaissance and I want to see how he's going to make, how he's going to be able to take control of the reins, especially how he left that Roma and it wasn't necessarily the best feelings. And he really seems to be going into a stride at Inter. Oh, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, played four, one, four, it's all the evidence that you need. Um, especially with a couple of interesting wins. They're beating Fiorentina and then winning at Roma. Uh, so uh, he has really uh, he has really gotten this team uh, to buy in, uh, you know, to what he demands of them. Uh, and it is impressive to see. And <laughs> as a Milan fan, I want Inter to do well because it, it raises the profile of the of the Milan derby when they play each other. So um, I'm still I'm, I'm bothered by the year that, uh, gosh, what was it? Was it late 2015? Um it was one of those years where it was just, it was a nil, it ended up being a nil-nil draw. It was the most dull Milan derby I can remember. Yeah, it was uh, really, that was a bad derby. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, you want to raise the profile of that. And, you know, to do that, both teams need to be need to be very strong. And certainly, uh, Spalletti has gotten that going with Inter. Um, also on Saturday, Fiorentina hosting Bologna after coming off an impressive 5-0 shellacking at Hellas Verona, uh, having Bologna coming in. Uh, no goals at halftime, but Fiorentina's golden boy popping up to give him the lead. Pallone a cercare Chiesa sulla sinistra. Se lo sposta sul destro, tiro giro! È un gol straordinario! Quello che sblocca il punteggio da parte di Federico Chiesa! That was Federico Chiesa to give La Viola a 1-0 lead. But uh, you know what, guys? My coaches and my mentors always told me a team is always most vulnerable after they just scored a goal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and an old and Bologna's old boy pops up just a minute later. Ha sicuramente costruito di più rispetto al Bologna. Attenzione, però, che però subito a reagire. Palacio! Dopo un minuto esplode la partita. Prima Chiesa, 
poi Palacio! Due reti in poco più di 60 secondi! Rodrigo Palacio, yes, you heard that correctly. Uh, he pops up, the old man equalizes for the visitors, opening his account. Uh, but then Fiorentina would get the winner from an unlikely source. Corner sul secondo palo, colpo di testa! E il gol della Fiorentina! Il gol di Pezzella! Herman Pezzella, uh, the defender, the central defender, uh, getting the winner for Fiorentina. Two in a row. Uh, Sonia, we were, we were looking at Fiorentina as being a team that we thought was going to be in for a struggle through the first half of the season. But now they've won two straight uh, here under Stefano Pioli. They had so much talent leaving. You know, the replacements aren't as flattering but promising. Um, looking, at, looking at Fiorentina with, with two wins here, you know, in the first four weeks, do you think they're ahead of schedule? Definitely. Fiorentina is one of those teams where I feel that when people think they're going to do well, they just completely bomb it. And then when people have written them off, they're just like, no, wait, we're still here. And so I think a lot of people had written them off at the beginning of the season or or were more focusing on other teams. And like you have the rise of like Atalanta, which sort of took over that kind of, you know, nice little like, oh, this is going to be our dark horse for the season. And I think Fiorentina are kind of clawing their way back. Um, the win was nice. Uh, the game was kind of interesting because of those two and 10 goals, which is always fun to see because it really does open up a game a lot. Um, I don't know. I think, I don't, I don't want to say like they might peak too soon, but I feel like whenever I kind of get interested in them and sort of back them a bit, they let me down. But right now I'm, I'm interested to see where they're going to go because they have surprised me so far. Yeah, um, it's uh, you know certainly a lot farther along than, than than we maybe thought they'd be. Richard and I talked about them being this year's Sampdoria last season were the team that struggled through the first half of the season and then just turned it on after the new year. And we thought that Fiorentina would be this team this season. Um, you know, so to, to to have two wins out of their first four, uh, you know, suggests that Pioli is also having an impact here. Uh, you know, in his first season in charge there. Uh, let's go to the other side on this one, Richard. Uh, It seems like uh, three years ago that, that, that Bologna opened the season with a win and a draw. That seat's going to start to warm up for Roberto Donadoni, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, he's, he's always on a hot seat. He's going to be ever more so this season. Um, you know, with, with the players that they don't... The players that they have are, are frankly not good enough. And if he keeps getting results like this, uh, you're going to see his name come up real quick. Um, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't see him lasting the whole season. But um, hopefully, I get proven wrong by Bologna. I guess we'll see, huh? Because he's a good yeah. manager. He's a good manager. Oh, he had been a good manager. I don't know if he still has it, or maybe it's just a team he's on. I don't know. Time will tell. Time will definitely tell. But it's certainly not going to get comfortable in a home date with Inter on Tuesday. Uh, isn't going to make it any easier for him. Um, also, to round out on round out Saturday it was Roma. Three, Verona nil. Uh, Rajan Angolan opened the scoring uh, in the 33rd minute and then allowed the capo Canonieri to reintroduce himself. Larga il gioco per Florenzi. Lo va a chiudere Valotti. Florenzi s'allunga il pallone. Poi rientra sul sinistro. Vuole il cross. Gioco! 2-0 Roma! Tutto troppo facile però per Edin Dzeko. Reigning capo Canonieri is Edin Dzeko with a brace. Sonia, fair to say, as far as Roma is concerned, if they're going to be a top four team, they they need every bit of this from Nainggolan and Dzeko, don't they? For sure. And this game played out exactly like how I thought it was going to play out. Maybe not the red card, but 
um, this is them just kind of putting their heads down and getting the work done. And this is what a team like Roma needs this season, uh, just to not get distracted with anything else and pick up the points where they can and kind of run over teams when they're able to. Did you yep. see how many shots Roma had in the game? They had 30 shots. <laughs> 30 shots. It's not basketball. I mean, they were playing a man up. <laughs> they yeah, were. But that, was, but that was like a 66 minute or something like that. So, I mean, but still, that's that's a crazy amount. I've, I've, I've seen teams with nine players not give up that many pa- shots. <laughs> Verona's taking a battering, Richard. Yeah, um, they're, they're disappointing I, me. I mean, yeah. I mean, we talked about it in our preview pod and, and said that this might be the team that's best equi- out of the three that are promoted. This might be the team that's best equipped to survive the drop. I mean, how disturbing is it that, okay, they, they put in some veterans there on the back line. They've got some goal-scoring experience going forward. Played four, one point, one goal scored, 11 goals conceded. This is not the recipe of a team that's going to stay up, is it? No, I mean, the, the players who they, they counted on from last season to score and guys they were hoping for this season to, to lead them in scoring aren't doing their job. Um, they can't keep the ball. They can't keep possession. They can't keep the ball out of their net. It's just a recipe of a long, long season for Verona, for Hellas Verona. Um, their their veterans need to step up. Their goal scorers need to step up, or they're going to be seeing relegation in Serie B next season. Mm, it's uh, it's it's been a rough start. I mean, the schedule hasn't been the friendliest for them either. Let's let's you know let's put it that way. Frankly, the um, only player the only player who's really stepped up this season so far is Nicolas. Uh, he's had he's yeah. played very well for them. He's kept kept them in games, but nobody else has really played well. No, it's been a bit. It's it's certainly been a struggle. Uh, there's some things that really need to get sorted out over there if they're gonna, you know, if they're gonna find their way out of this. So, those were the Saturday games. Uh, you know, let's get into the Sunday games. We already recapped Milan Udinese. Uh, Sunday began with Sassuolo hosting the champions Juventus. Um, I think Paulo Dybala was reading my tweets in the middle of the week. Cerca Dybala in area di rigore con la punta. Paolo Dybala doppietta e 2-0 Juventus. Va di Bala! Un'altra tripletta per Paolo Di Bala! He had a hat trick at Sassuolo. To me, whoopee, you got three at Sassuolo. Where were you at Barcelona? Sonia, is, is, Sonia, is he good? Is, is he good or is he elite? Or where is he right now? Because I have a problem with at Barcelona and doing nothing in the Champions League final and doing nothing. Um, but he can go to Sassuolo and get a Hattie. He can go to Genoa and get a Hattie. A big, big freaking deal. I mean, does that make him elite or does that just make him really good? Did you just compare Genoa to Barcelona? No, you I mean... You kind of did. You, you, you did a little bit. <laughs> I'm just trying to say the, the away fixtures that he's had, where he's gotten his hat tricks and where he hides. Let's just put it that way. I mean, Serie A is such a different beast, right? Like, you can have players perform really well when you're playing teams. No offense to General Sassuolo. Like, he is a good player, but I think the maturity there for a European stage isn't quite there yet. And it's not that he's getting overwhelmed or, or being outclassed necessarily, but it's it's hard. It, it is a different stage. It's a different beast. And to have that confidence and to show those leadership skills on a stage that you're not used to, I think it's really showing where his maturity is as a player. And hopefully if he's being able to do this consistently back home in Italy, that that will start to translate towards 
Champions League very soon. Um, I don't think by any means he's a world-class player or he's, you know, the next big thing. But I think it's somebody that you might be, you might be a bit too harsh on. <laughs> and I'm saying that I'm harsh on everyone. But um, I think, I don't know. I think he's doing really well for where he is right now. And maybe in a year or two, or even maybe at the end of the season, or at, um, as they continue Champions League, he is going to start stepping up. I don't think he's a like Serie A one-trick pony. I, I want to commend you for getting through a Juventus question without breaking something tasteful, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, for me, I just, you know, th- th- there's something really Zlatan Ibrahimovic about him and, and Ibrahimovic's early early years. And I know I'm, I know I'm committing blasphemy here with fellow Milan fans who, who revere the guy. Um, you are. You are. But, well, yeah, I mean, he can destroy these teams. You know, he can beat up on the weak and the sad and score those goals. But then when the bright lights and the big stage come on, you know, where is he? You know, I had a couple of people come back on Twitter, but he had the brace against Barcelona. Yeah, he did that at the J. He beats everybody. He, he destroys everybody when he gets to play at home. You know, but you get him in these road and neutrals. And I don't think that the product is totally complete. You know, and that's my that's my argument with, with Paulo Dybala. Can, so Richard, can I compare him real quick? And this is very quick to Ren- Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, everyone, you know, everyone, you know, everyone says well, what a great player Cristiano Ronaldo is. All his goals he scores international, you know. But if you look, if you look at it really deeper, the majority of the these seventy four goals, or whatever he has, uh, or fifty eight goals, come against the smaller countries where he's beating them up and scoring four or five goals against them. And then when when it comes to the big big stage in in, uh, in those uh, international tournaments, he's not there. Now, I'm not going to compare him anymore to Dybala because Ronaldo does show up to Champions League. I mean, he's one of the, I think, all-time leading scorer and whatnot, and he shows up to the big games for club. But Dybala, you know, to get to that level, he has to show it to me. If I want, if he wants to be called elite, he needs to show up to these games like Barcelona or any of these Champions League games and on the road. I, I don't want to see – seen, I've seen it at the J Stadium. He had two goals against Barcelona last year. You need to do it on the road and in Champions League. And like Sonia says, it'll come – with more games that he gets, but I mean, this Juve team may not have many more years to do this. You know, this is their time to shine, so he needs to step up quickly. And especially when we're in that number ten now, uh, he's got to he's got to he's got to get it going. He's got to get it going. I guess I look at it from the standpoint of you 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 you've got the number ten. Think of the players before you that have worn that number for that team. Um, you know, and how they treated that responsibility, and that the level that they elevated themselves to. I mean, the most recent, obviously, Alessandro Del Piero. Um, Roberto Baggio, Michel Platini, um, you know, th- he's he's not there yet. It's just kind of kind of where I'm at. Uh, for consolation, Sassuolo, Matteo Politano, one, you know, scored. Um, played four, scored two, and I would not have said after four games that between Falcinelli, Berardi, and Politano, they'd only have one goal between them. Right. I, they talk about guys who need to gel together. These these three guys need to gel because on paper, each one of them individually are are really good players who can put the ball in the back of the net. So together, you think, oh yeah, they're gonna be fan- they're gonna be great. Nope, these guys can't seem to find each other. It's just not working at all, and they need to go to man go to two practices a week a day or three practices a day till they can figure out chemistry. If they have to sleep together, do that. They got to figure out a way to get this together because. Uh, Sassuolo goes as they go, and if they don't pick it up, the, pick up the scoring. Um, Sassuolo is going to be hurting because they're one of my teams. That I thought we're going to do really well this season coming back after last year's miserable, uh, miserable time of year. So I don't know. I don't know what's up with these guys. 
Yeah, it's uh, there's certainly some things that have to get turned around uh, over there at the Mape. Certainly had higher expectations and and where that certainly not going to expect them to beat Juventus, but you know some of the other results just it hasn't been there yet. So um, the next game that we're going to get into this is basically um, you have this French poodle and you're forced to send him into a dogfight uh, with the nastiest Rottweiler. Um, available and and it's just in an enclosed cage and there's just nothing you can do about it it you 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 your friend little french poodle is going to get mauled there's no chance there's no chance for the poor thing and of course we're talking about napoli hosting benevento <laughs> and the new boys the new boys got a hazing and let's allow the reigning Serie A sit down player of the year to reintroduce himself napoli in 27 minutes Yes, Dries Mertens popping up with a hat trick today, but uh, none of those goals were better than what Lorenzo Insigne did. Ulam prende la mira all'Argerino, pallone dentro Insigne, giro! Grandissimo gol per Lorenzo Insigne! Alan, yes, Alan and Jose Callejon also rounding out the scoring. The perfect response, Sonia, after that disaster in Donetsk. Yeah, I mean, this was... <sighs> I, I really like your metaphor there because it really does work out. Um, it's it's really unfortunate, and usually you don't want to see a battering of that, you know, new side and a six nothing loss. Like it, it's it's hard to watch as a neutral. Like it, it really is. But at the same time, they kind of needed to get, you know, themselves back in, and Napoli really needed this win. Unfortunately, it came over the wrong team, but it on them <laughs> I guess uh, yeah it's it's I almost feel bad talking about this game because there's really not that much to talk about and that's so unfortunate for Napoli because they played really well but on what scale are we putting them as playing really well yeah I, they're top of the table right now largely on goal difference probably because they had the benefit of hosting Benevento Richard um, yeah but looking I mean Looking at the three teams, and let's just take them into context, the three teams with the perfect starts, Napoli, Juve, Inter, who has been the most impressive? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Well, you don't, I, have, you don't have to interrupt Sonia this time, like you did, like, <laughs> like you did Laura Bradburn on that one part. So. Um, uh, I'm going to say Inter, and just because what Spalletti has done with, with Inter and how fast they clicked, I mean, I kind of always knew that, that Napoli was going get to their, get their goals. And maybe it's just the fact that I'm used to Napoli scoring like crazy, that I'm not, not phased by them, really. And Juventus, they're doing their thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm most impressed by Inter. But, I mean, the fact that I think I, I saw a stat today, Napoli has 15 goals in their first four games. That's mind-boggling. Mm. 15 goals in four games. That's more than three goals a game. It's, it is, that, is, uh, that is definitely, uh, definitely impressive. Um, when you consider yeah, nearly four goals a game, that's um, that's impressive. Uh, Sonia, do you agree with uh, Richard that it's been that it's been Inter the most impressive of the three that are perfect so far? I think Inter is the most surprising, but I've been really impressed with Napoli this season. Um, they've been a lot of fun to watch, which is a huge compliment to Napoli because they're usually really frustrating to watch, especially as a neutral. Again, like it's they do really really well, and all of a sudden they just like destroy themselves in your don't know what they're doing so i do think inter has been the better team overall i i've really enjoyed watching napoli so far uh, and i'm i i agree with that it's hard to it's hard to answer that question when you look because they've all been impressive in their own mind 
But just for just for the sake of doing it, since Sonia said Napoli and Richard said Inter, I'll give the argument for Juventus just because, you know, you lose a Dani Alves, you lose a Leonardo Benucci, you know, Juventus fans aren't necessarily flattered by what happened in the, you know, in the transfer market um, and how the team was rebuilt and reshaped. But, you know, four games, played four, won four, and doing it exactly how they're supposed to be doing it. And the one time they got hit in the mouth, Genoa, they came back and responded with four goals. You know, okay, fine, they got pantsed in Barcelona. It's a different competition. But as far as the Serie A is concerned, they're doing exactly what you would expect a defending champion to do with the opponents that they've played, take care of business. So, and, and do it resoundingly. Scored 13, conceded three. Um, yeah, but, you know, to your guys' point, I mean, you could make a case for any, any, any one of these three teams. So uh, they've, all been, they've all been very good in their own right to get to playing four and winning four. So, um, you were going to add something, Richard? I was going to say, what do you think Benevento were thinking when they were watching Napoli versus Shakhtar? They're gonna, do you think like, oh, geez, we got to show up on on Sunday to play Napoli? They're going to whoop our ass. Um, I feel, I mean, I feel bad, completely bad for Benevento, like you guys were saying. I, I feel it's just disheartening. I mean, you know, they, they come to Syria first time, you know, and what, and however, however many years, and getting their ass handed to them like left and right. It's it's uh, it's it's unfortunate. I would have called in sick. <laughs> I'm surprised no one did. I'm surprised the coach did. Honestly, though, once they play us, they'll win, so it's okay. Spell can do it. Anyone can do it. They'll probably beat Milan, too. I, I'm not sure. I see. We're going to get into asking the question about Benevento at some point if they even get 10 points this season, So, uh, like we did with Crotoni last year. So, that's but right. <laughs> maybe that's Maybe that's what Benevento need. They need for us to speculate if they're going to break that mark uh, to get them going. So... Um, moving on, we had uh, Spall uh, hosting Cagliari, uh, and uh, it was the visitors getting on the board with Wonderboy Nicola Barella uh, putting Cagliari in front 1-0, but then the game was put away with this screamer from João Pedro. João Pedro, il dribbling, prova il tiro, João Pedro, e trova un grandissimo gol, João Pedro. Nice goal from João Pedro. Uh, we don't really need to spend a whole lot of time talking about this game, do we? Nah. Nah. Cali, we got a clean sheet. That's a story. That's <laughs> a shock. That's a shock story there. It should be that front is a page. shock. <laughs> that would be front page. Had Napoli not scored six. So, uh, but uh, yeah, that, moving on. Uh, uh, okay, this one was fun. Uh, Torino and Sampdoria, uh, a matchup of two teams that, you know, if you'd been listening to us, uh, two teams that we are very interested in as far as uh, maybe making some noise and snatching one of those European places. A, someone that was near and dear to Sonia Misio's heart, Duvan Zapata, was the one that got on the score sheet first in the first minute uh, for Sampdoria. Uh, but it was equalized by this screamer from Daniele Baselli. Baselli, che fa il tiro! Ed è un gol bellissimo, quello di Baselli! Torino 1, Sampdoria 1, l'euro gol di Baselli! That made it 1-1, and it only took two minutes after that for the rooster to crow for the hosts. Adem Ljajic, dentro per Belotti, la palla sul sinistro, e arriva un altro gol, è bellissimo, con il gallo Belotti, Torino 2, Sampdoria 1, la firma di Belotti. Andrea Belotti making it 2-1, uh, but then, apparently Italy is a country for old men, we talked about Rodrigo Palacio earlier, Fabio Quagliarella turned, out, turned up at 34 minutes. Il cross morbido per Quagliarella, e arriva il 2-2 della Sampdoria, con Fabio Quagliarella. 2-2 in 34 minutes, and uh, well, we were on our way to like a 4-4 game, and that's the way that it turned out. And uh, uh, 
a, a splitting of the points. Um, Sonia, who's going to say I'll take this more, Torino or Sampdoria? I'm going to say Sampdoria because both goal scorers were ex Udinese. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it it was actually a fun game to watch. It it really shows that when you get two teams on, and you don't get this very often in Serie A, but when you get two teams on a really good level, how much fun soccer can be in Italy. And unfortunately, you don't get to see that very often week in, week out. It's usually the 6 nothing slaughtering or a 0-2 kind of snooze fest. So this was a lot of fun of, of for a game to watch. Um, I do think overall Sampdoria impressed me a bit more. But that's not to take anything away from Tordino. I Like I said, it was just kind of end-to-end and really equally matched. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Richard, uh, do you agree with it? Sampdoria probably happier with the point here. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I think Torino were the ones that were lucky just because I think Sampdoria is not much better than them. Or not that much better, but better than them. But I, if you took a look from their perspective, the two teams, I think Sampdoria, because they were on the road, uh, going into any environment is going to be that's a hostile environment. Um, it's always going to be difficult to get get a get a win, get a points. And the fact that sixty uh, nine year old old man Qualiarella, you know, saved him again. Uh, that's 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 points, valuable points, because you know as the season goes on, every point matters, and that could you know for one of these teams could could equal Europa League spot. So you know, getting points, not losing, is uh, is big at all sta- all stages of the season. Mm. Mm. I mean, for two teams that are going to be battling for position, you know, they're, they're certainly none of them are going to come near the top four. But trying to snatch a European place, uh, this is this is what you hope for. Uh, very entertaining game. Uh, you know, we get the multi-calcio on BN Sports, and you know, we all were watching Milan Udinese, and like within seconds, we see the multi-calcio graphic come up. We're like, and 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 I thought I said, yeah, that's got that's either got to be Napoli or it's got to be the Torino Sampdoria game. So. Um, but uh, but it's um, it is uh, it was an entertaining game two two uh, a point for each team and just goes to show you the strength of each of those teams. Uh, you know there are two later two later games that went on on Sunday, uh, starting with uh, Kievo and Atalanta. Uh, this one was honors even as well. Samuel Bastian scoring for Kievo. Richard worked frantically to figure out who the hell he was because he's not Valencia or Inglese or. Or, or, or some of these other guys that he enjoys watching when, you know, when they throw on the Kievo <laughs> shirt. So, and then it was Atalanta's main man getting things back on terms. Gomez, palla da una parte, Sorrentino dall'altra, il pareggio dell'Atalanta con il Papu. Papu Gomez, five minutes from time after that brilliant performance in the Europa League against Everton, which we'll get to here shortly. Uh, but Kievo and Atalanta squaring the match at 1-1. Um... We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this one, do we? No, no. No? Okay, good. <clears throat> and then the nightcap, uh, Genoa and Lazio. Um, this one was uh, arguably one of the arguably the game of the weekend, uh, if you set aside the Torino-Sampdoria game. And it was Bastos opening the scoring for Lazio after rebounding Sergei Malinkovic-Savage's free kick. Wow, Malinkovic-Savage has been very good for Lazio so far this season. Uh, but then it was Genoa having a golden boy of their own, and he turned up. Va via Tarab da cercare Pellegrini, Pellegrini, Pellegrini con il destro, la palla in rete, il pareggio di Pellegrini, Pietro Pellegrini al 56esimo minuto va a esultare sotto la gradinata nord. The teenager Pietro Pellegrini equalizing for the Griffone 
And that's when Ciro Immobile stepped in. Lukaku, Immobile, the goal del 2-1 della Lazio. He would get Lazio back in front 2-1, but Pellegrini would say not so fast. Just three minutes later. Da Zukanovic, il suggerimento Pellegrini ed è il, il gol del pareggio. Il gol del pareggio ancora Pietro Pellegrini. Ancora Pellegrini, la doppietta. That made it 2-2 and it looked like honors even, but then eight minutes from time, that man immobile again. Immobile, da solo, immobile, lo scavetto, il palo, il gol. Passa in vantaggio la Lazio. Ciro immobile, ancora Ciro immobile. È l'82esimo minuto. Lazio would nick the 3-2 win to move them into fourth place on 10 points. Sonia, is there a hotter striker? Uh, Dybala aside, uh, is there a hotter striker right now than Ciro Immobile? No, um, on fire. Absolutely fun to watch and a great player. But actually, the person that I want to talk about more is Simone Inzaghi. How great is he as a coach? Where did this come from? He's stellar job, stellar I'm job. I'm stunned. I th- we were we, we were we were thinking Lazio are ready to take a step back. He was uh, one of our so. managers of the years last year, and he's going to do it again. It looks like he's just up. And I am a big fan of his brother, and so like for me to be like he is on as players, you know, they're not really on par. But as a coach, he's head and shoulders above. Like yeah. he's just he's been so much fun to watch as a manager. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Um, uh, one for the future there, Richard, Pietro Pellegri. Yeah, Pietro Pellegri. Did you know, actually, that he became the first player born in the 21st century to score two-plus goals in a single Serie A game? He's 16, born March 17, 2001. Hashtag, don't you feel old? You cannot find facts like that anywhere else. Just here on Serie A, sit down. Richard, that was brilliant. I, I didn't even know that. I'm so well, well, well done. And yes, uh, boy, he's got a he's got a future. He'd be great in red and black, wouldn't he? Um, <laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> so, uh, table itself, we talked about the three perfect teams: Napoli, Juve, Inter, all on twelve; Lazio on ten; Milan on nine; Torino on eight. Uh, that's your top six. Sampdoria sitting there on seven, of course, with a game in hand. Uh, Bottom three, Cotone on one. He not haven't even scored a goal yet. Uh, Verona on one. Benevento at the bottom on zero. You've also got Sassuolo and Genoa on one point. <clears throat> I mean, we're still in the getting to know you phase. For me, it takes about eight or nine match weeks to uh, to really get a feel for what everybody is and, and, and where they're going to be. And anything early on from what you've seen through these first four games, Sonia, though, that uh, that's got your attention. Um, just mentioning before, Lazio, I think they're going to be the team that I'm going to watch. Uh, they've just been fun. Yeah, they've 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 got some revelations there. Luis Alberto has also been pretty impressive for them. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, as I've been saying, seems to be picking up where uh, Luke, Lucas Pelia has left them behind. Um, you know, Richard, how about you? Uh, what's jumped out at you so far? Uh, both Lazio and Fiorentina, they've both proved me wrong. I thought both were going to have a, a backwards of a season. Fiorentina, I thought, you know, like we were saying, we thought they're going to come back on, come on in the second half of the season, but they're playing well right now. They're in the top top half of the table. And Lazio, they just continue where they, off, they left off last year with Immobile, who's on fire. Um, that they like they had a good test against Milan and they and they battered them. Um, so I like what Inzaghi and his men are doing. I, I, I definitely agree. Like the start that Lazio are off to, like where Torino and Sampdoria are, they're off to very nice starts. Uh, 
you know, right now, clearly to me, the the biggest disappointment so far has been Sassuolo. Uh, you know, for the talent that they have in their team to to play poor games, yeah. just one point, just two goals. To me, that's underachieving. So, uh, first four games of the season, listeners, what's caught your attention? Go to at Syria, sit down on Twitter, or go to Instagram. Give us your thoughts. Let's uh, do a very quick Europe recap. All right, I'm just going to run through the scores here on Europe. Uh, it was a rough week for the Serie A teams in Champions League. Uh, as you know, Barcelona uh, getting a little revenge, if you will, at the new camp on Juventus, winning 3-0. Uh, Lionel Messi finally scoring on Gigi Buffon. Uh, Roma nil, Atletico Madrid nil. And then, uh, as we mentioned, Napoli going to the Ukraine and losing 2-1 at Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, Richard, you had a Twitter question come in about Iguain. I did. Yeah, this comes from at B-O-B-L-E-X. He asks, does Iguain slow Juventus down in Europe? I think Iguain just slows them down in general. I mean, Sonia, you see how fat he is, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> His new nickname is what, Pigwain? <laughs> Pig, what, Pigwain. Um they need a mobile striker, and he's not—he's not the guy. Like Morata would have been more better for better suited for Juventus as opposed to Iguain. Um, I think he does hold—he does slow them down, you know, really, because a lot of a lot of these big teams in Europe have fast def, uh, center def, center center backs and 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 wing backs, and he's not—he's not even close to being able to outpace any of those guys. They need someone who's more mobile, who maybe more bigger, who who can hold the ball. Uh, and get the team more involved. So I, I do think he slows down Juventus. Does it get to where, I mean, Mandzukic on the left, He obviously his work rate is through the roof, you know, but you get to a point, and Douglas Costa obviously gives you a little more flair, a little more creativity on the left. Does that loosen things up where then Iguain can focus on being more of a poacher? Um, you know, that that's an interesting one for me. Um, yeah, he's... Iguain's a striker that needs service. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, unbalance two center backs. Um, you know, he, he'll make instinctive runs in the box and be in good positions from crosses. But, you know, you may have to be able to establish the possession in games like this for him to be that effective. You know, if you're going to, I mean, the, the, the teams that have done well and have gotten results at Barcelona through the years that have actually gone and won, at the new camp, have players that are a lot more mobile. I mean, Atletico Madrid was it a couple of years ago with Antoine Griezmann. Yep. So, um, you know, so I think that if you're going, if you end up in a defensive system and you don't have a striker that has some pace and can unlock people a little bit, you're running into some problems, and and your game and your counterattacking game in particular is going to be predictable. Uh, you know, so yeah, he, he slows them down. I think so, especially in the away fixtures it, at the J where they can establish possession and be more dominant and there's going to be a lot more service for him. That's where he's going to stand out. So, you know, that's at least what, that's what at least, but he has also got to not be so fat too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Um, Sonia, uh, we, we made, we made the comment. We had uh, John Solano. We talked Roma a few weeks ago. We thought if, Roma had a path to the knockout stages. They had to win this game at home against Atletico Madrid. Do you do you feel that way, or 
you know, is can they still find a way to, to, to muscle through? Do you see they could or, or not winning this game? Are they screwed? Um, quite honestly, I think they are a little bit screwed. Um, everyone um, in Champions League really dropped the ball. And I actually emailed my dad and I said, Italian should not be in Champions League or the World Cup. And he responds to me, he's like, I agree entirely. But um, if this is the quality of production that we're going to get in Champions League from these teams, then yeah, no, there's absolutely no hope of making it to the next round. Um, it was for everyone, including Roma, it, it, they did not show any sort of dominance or any sort of drive. And I realize it's the first opening game of Champions League and, you know, they still have other games to play. But at the same time, it's the opening day. Be impressive. Show something. And exactly. it just, it wasn't yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And Richard, uh, this is what happens. This is what happens to Napoli when they don't reinforce in certain areas where they've always been deficient, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think also part of it is that maybe they took Shakhtar too lightly. Uh, we were saying that, you know, Shakhtar is a team that, um, they're not as good as they were have been in the past. Maybe that's how Napoli looked at them, and they, they thought it was going to be easy road win, and Shakhtar came to play, gave them credit. Um, Napoli just, they looked like they are missing something. They weren't playing the normal Napoli style. If they had played like their normal offensive style and still lost, that's one thing. They looked nothing like Napoli that we're all used to for the last two seasons. So uh, they, they're they going to figure it out. They obviously figured it out against Benevento. Um, I think they're going to, after that game, it's kind of a wake-up call in Europe and say, you know, we should take everyone you know, seriously, not so lightly. Agreed. Agreed. And I'll just come back to the Juventus, uh, the Juventus game. And when you're so shorthanded, when you've lost so many players to injuries and you can't, I mean, you can't get Chiellini out there and you're going with Barzali and Benatia as your center back pairing, uh, against Barcelona, you're, you're asking for trouble. I don't care. I don't care how good Buffon is. Um, you know, and, uh, rightfully so Benatia and Barzali both got exposed. It was the same, you know, same syndrome as the Italy-Spain World Cup qualifier. If you're shorthanded at the back, you know, and you've got nothing to lose, why aren't you putting Daniele Rugani in a game like this, you know, and giving him a chance? I mean, if this is, I, this is the, this is where Allegri frustrates me. I mean, it's, and then Ventura for that matter with Italy. Maybe I see something in Rugani that these managers don't. But if he's supposed to be the the next man up as far as Italian defenders concerned, or one of the next men up then get him in a game like this. You know, if, if you look at Benatia, if, if, if you can look at your team and you say, okay, well, if I put Medi, Benatia, if I put Barzali out there, he's going to get crushed. You know, then, okay, put, put Rugani in there. How much worse can he be? You know, if you end up with the same, if you end up with the same result, great. You know, <laughs> you gave him a shot, but if it was narrow or if he put on a performance or if he was able to, you know, to, you know, to lock up, lock up a, a Barcelona player or showed something, then you've got something to work with. And he's shown that he can, he is, he's taking his game to a higher level. So that's where I'm a little bit disappointed uh, with uh, the team selection. And I mean, anytime you're going to put Mattia Decilio out there, you've lost, you've lost it. I mean, Richard and I know that all too well. Um, you, you've lost that as well. And he didn't even last the whole game. He ended up getting, he ended up getting hurt. So um, disappointing all around. Hopefully on match day two at the Champions League, these three teams can bounce back. Europa League was another story. The Italians put on a masterclass. Austria Wien 1, Milan 5, Atalanta 3, Everton 0, Vitesse 2, Lazio 3, Sonia. 
I was worried about Lazio um, with the team that they picked, knowing Mobley starting, but then they brought Mobley into the game and he kind of fixed things, didn't he? He did. I mean, Europa was night and day compared to Champions League, and it was just, it was fantastic. It, it really showed a lot of the teams having fun and going out there and showing what they can do. And that's sort of what I was mentioning before, the impressing for the first day. And I think Italy is a force to be reckoned with in Europe based on Europa. Oh, definitely agree with that. Now, Richard, I'll let you take the Milan one. 5-1, um, how much of it is playing Austria Wien and how much of it is the team that was picked? Milan main business in this competition. Uh, it was both. Austria, Austria Wien, they're an okay team. Um, I think they're currently sitting like fourth in, in, in their league. Uh, but Milan's lineup showed that they were serious. Um, Chalhanalu was fantastic player in that game. Um, Kalinic linked up well with him, like I said earlier. The whole team played very well. Um, and and I, I don't think you're going to find anyone who's more hardworking than Chalhanalu than than only maybe Mario Mandzukic in terms of backtracking stuff and getting the ball back to your getting the ball back into your possession. Um, I thought he was fantastic in that game. Uh, that goal that he had a goal and two assists, I believe. So the way now Milan came out, they showed that their business. They showed they showed the rest of the Europa League uh, con- contenders or candidates uh, that they mean business, and uh, people are going to keep an eye out for them. Love Atalanta. What a performance! Uh, Papu Gomez was dancing miles ahead of everybody on the pitch for Everton, and that's saying something when Everton's putting players out like Guilty Sigurdsson and you know, you know. Wayne Rooney is a Wayne Rooney's at least a brand name, you know. Uh, you know, he was the best player on the pitch, and it wasn't even close. So it was so fun to see uh, that performance from Atalanta and the statement that they made when you know a lot of folks think that Atalanta were in trouble considering that they drew Everton and Leon in their group. And they, they made didn't play in Bergamo. Huge. They weren't even in Bergamo. Right, right. They made a massive statement. Was uh, was was proud to see the Europa League teams, uh, uh, you know, waving the flag here. Uh, for Italian Serie A. So uh, that was the uh, Europe recap. Um, you know, obviously disappointing for the Champions League. Let's hope that our uh, Serie A teams can bounce back there. What a start to the Europa League. We've got a couple of teams in there that are serious about uh, contending for this thing. Uh, so we'll see how the European schedule unfolds. But that will put a bow on this edition of the Serie A sit-down. And uh, do keep in mind, there is midweek football here in Serie A. There are games... Bologna Inter on Tuesday, full slate on Wednesday. Um, you know, so check the schedule for uh, your favorite team. Um, but uh, let's uh, do a social media check. And uh, Sonia, we'll uh, start with you. Plug away uh, where where we can find you and, and anything else that uh, that you want to plug. Sure. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Sonia Missio. Um, you can also read works on unusual efforts at unusual efforts. And like we mentioned before, there's book that I'm slowly working on and getting stories out and if you want to contact me about telling your story or if you have any ideas my dms are always open so just send me a message and I'd love to chat oh it was a pleasure having you back on and let's uh let's get you back on soon maybe after the uh maybe after the book is up complete maybe after the book is complete and we can get up to speed with uh uh with how you with with uh, with how you put it together perfect thank you so much guys it's been fun awesome Thanks so awesome thanks again great to hear from you again um richard how about you uh well as always you can find me at r underscore carmen um uh, i'm actually gonna have a my next scouting report is actually gonna be on pietro pellegri the uh the fun fact gentleman from genoa today 
Um, so I'll look forward to that. And then uh, I probably got another article coming out for SBN Nation. So or SB Nation. So there's that as well. And you can find me at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. Uh, my blog, The Calcio Consultant, can be found on worldfootballindex.com. Um, with midweek football, I'll come up with something. Um, might, uh, might explain myself about Dybala. I, I, I know I want to put something together about that, but uh, I do have a, a couple things to, uh, uh, that, that I do want to get off my chest and maybe do so through the blog. So uh, there will be a blog entry this week, but as usual, I'm, I'm in that kind of writer's block right now trying to figure out what I actually want to write about, but uh, there'll be another release this week. Um, so uh, at Syria sit down on Twitter, uh, also on Instagram, uh, and then also go to worldfootballindex.com, boatload of podcasts that you can find, blog, blog entries, uh, just about anything you want to know about the beautiful game, it's there. Uh, so do check that out. And I uh, want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, be sure to tell your paisans about us. Ciao. Thank you.